So hello everyone, back again for episode 2 of Vogue Badger's, Vogue Badger 42's Insert Disc Podcast. So it has been a while since my first episode, so do apologize for that wait, just been very busy recently, I forgot about this, but coming back to it now anyway. So this episode we're going to be looking at the evolution of controllers throughout gaming history, so we'll be looking at the design of controllers and just seeing how they have changed throughout the years and different things that have changed with the controllers. So... First of all, we'll start off the early controller designs. So when I'm referring to early controller designs, what I'm more sort of referring to is the very simplistic design, like the uh, NES controller, Mega Drive controller, stairs, things like that. Very few buttons, but it worked really well for what you needed. So take the uh, NES controller, for example. Uh, you've basically got your two buttons, A and B, and then you've got your D-pad there to the left-hand side of it. All it was pretty much that and just just start and select button as well as in between there you didn't really need anything else for the games you're playing obviously back then games didn't have a lot of buttons that needed pressing so obviously you know these games were talking like the original mario games the very first zelda game kirby very first kirby game double dragon you know the list goes on i won't go through the whole list otherwise the rest of the podcast will be taken up with me reciting the whole list of nes games and I don't think we want that. I said no one time I'm going to run out of breath if I keep doing that. So after that, obviously, we did start to uh, upgrade controls a little bit. So taking into consideration the SNES, so the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, that was a bit of an upgrade from the NES. Like the NES, quite simplistic in its design. Very good sort of handheld controller. But this time you had four buttons to use as well as the D-pad. And you still had your good old start and select buttons always been there on the controllers always useful uh, for quite a few things so again it's a very simplistic design it was very comfortable to hold from what i could tell i've never actually held that kind of control myself before but when i've seen pictures of it it looked like quite uh, a quite a good control that would actually uh, fit in your hands quite well so you know it was quite comfortable to use from the looks of it now obviously we did progress a little bit from there as well main one that comes to my head in that situation would be the controllers for the Mega Drive. Now, Mega Drive, uh, you had three main buttons, and you had your two start and select buttons in the middle, and then you had the D-pad again. Now, the D-pad was slightly different compared to the SNES and the NES D-pads, whereas the SNES and the NES only had your four directions, so up, down, left, and right. Uh, the Mega Drive controller had eight points that could be used for directions. So you had a multi-directional D-pad, so you could do it diagonally as well. So you obviously have your, your up, down, left, right. But in between those, you also had, uh, you could also diagonally. So the best way to think of it is a bit like a compass. You know, you've got north, south, east, west, and you've got northeast, southeast, and so on and so on. We're going through the rest of those again because I'm going to be sitting trying to remember everything. So obviously it did give you a bit more freedom of movement and that was needed for some other games. So for example, Sonic, you know, you could angle him, angle Sonic more in the direction you wanted to go. So sort of those controllers, they were very good for what they needed. Very simplistic designs. Uh, I did, I grew up with Mega Drive quite a lot. If those of you have listened to my previous episode, you know, I did play that, and the controllers I always found comfortable to hold. Never had any issues with them. So the next controller we're going to talk about uh, is for the Atari Jaguar. Now, uh, some people may know about this controllers, 
this, these controllers, others might not. Now, the main consensus from what I've read online and seen from videos looking at this before is the Atari Jaguar controller was very criticized. And I'm about to explain to you why. Now, as I said, obviously the early controllers, SNES, the NES, the Mega Drive controllers, you know, very simplistic, few buttons, but it's what you needed. For some reason, though, someone decided the Atari, the Atari Jaguar needed 17 buttons. Now, I did actually look at a picture and count them myself. There are 17 buttons on the controller. If you don't believe me, do Google the Atari Jaguar controller. You will see how many buttons are on there. It is absolutely ridiculous. I did try to do a bit of digging. I could not find exactly why there's supposed to be 17 buttons on the controller itself. I assume some were somehow programmable or they're related to certain games. But so the controller in itself is quite a bulky design. Uh, it looks reasonably comfortable to hold. But again, it's the fact that it has 17 buttons really confuses me. I've never quite understood why someone decided that they needed to be that many buttons on a video game controller. Now, the other interesting thing is, is they also made an Atari, Jag Atari Jaguar Pro controller. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, they Pro reduced the buttons, didn't they? No, they didn't. For some reason, they decided that the Atari Jaguar Pro, Pro controller needed 20 buttons. Again, I have no idea why this happened. Um, it's a mind-boggling thing as to why someone thought they needed 20 buttons and controller, or even 17 for that matter. Um, but as we know, the Atari Jaguar did not do well in sales. It didn't last very long. It got taken out by a lot of the competition there. Um, if you do want to have a look have a more in-depth look into that then you know google Atari jaguar you'll probably find some interesting things on the internet from wikipedia other game websites you know things like that uh or just google Atari jaguar control if you want to see what control looks like it is very strange is probably the best way i can put it i'm looking at a picture of it now and it's just i can't get my head around it i it's one of the, it's one of those mysteries of gaming life i've come across Never know why someone decided to make that many buttons on a controller. But anyway, before I start ranting on about that, let's move on, shall we? So next lot of con main controllers uh, started to have the control sticks or joysticks, whatever you want to call them. Now, the main ones that I think of when it comes to this, going from my personal gaming history, would be the N64 controllers. Now... These are a bit odd if you haven't seen one before. Again, it's worth Googling because you can see how they looked. Now, these are especially odd if you have gotten used to using um, a PlayStation controller, an Xbox controller, or even a, a Wii remote, or the Switch, for example. Any modern-day controller, basically. You might find it quite odd when you look at the design. Now, whereas no controller uh, for the Xbox and the Playstations would have your essentially lack of a better words two handles uh, and then you've got your buttons there so you, you know your thumbs can easily get to all the buttons it needs to and then your fingers are on the triggers as well you know very comfortable design uh, the n64 has three three handles on it so you've got your two on your side like your normal playstation and xbox controller but you had another one in the middle now what actually happened is so Let's see. So you've got your D-pad on your left-hand side. 
And on the middle handle, you have the control stick and the start button. Button? Start button, sorry. Uh, and on the right hand side, you've got your C buttons and the A and B buttons. Now you also had two bumpers, one on the left, one on the right, L and R. And then you had the Z trigger, which was underneath uh, on the middle handle. Now, when I play the N64, the main thing that would happen is uh, my left hand would be on the middle controller. So left hand would be controlling the joystick. And then uh, the right hand would be using the C buttons, the A and B buttons, and R if I needed to. And then, you know, move over to press L if I needed to as well. Now, quite a while ago, uh, while my eldest brother was living at home, he invited me round when I had a day off work to come and play the N64 with him that he'd got out from a parent's loft and he managed to get working on his TV in again. I was like, sure, I'd, I'd love to. I haven't played in ages. Now, what you have to keep in mind here is if you go back to an N64 controller, after you've gone so used to using an Xbox controller in my case, or, you know, like I said, PlayStation controller, whatever. It feels very peculiar. I do admit that I did kind of forget how to hold the controller for a minute or two. I was, I looked, I was looking at it, I was like, wait, what? It's like, how am I supposed to hold this controller again? I don't know how to do it. So it is very odd if you ever do get a chance to look at an N64 controller in person. We actually get a chance to hold it. It will feel quite different compared to most modern day controllers. It is something that is quite interesting to see. So after the N64 controller, what you do start to see is the more modern controllers starting to have two control sticks on them. Now this we're mainly referring to the Xbox controllers and the PlayStation controllers. And obviously it has been the theme for pretty much majority of controllers throughout modern gaming. Now, the main controllers I think about in this situation are the original Xbox controllers. The original Xbox controllers were very, very bulky. They're originally known as the Fatties, but then they were they did change the name to the Dukes. Uh, now, another good thing I, I find about the Xbox controllers is that they did have a breakaway connection. This is something that would stop damage to the console. Now, what it was is basically that... If you pulled on the cable of the controller too hard, you at times could risk pulling the console off and damaging it, depending on where it was sitting, which is obviously something no gamer wants to happen. Nobody wants any of their consoles to be damaged, I'm sure of that. Unless they might get in a massive fit of rage, but I hope they wouldn't do that anyway. Um, now what the, connect the breakaway connections did is it would stop that from happening. So if someone were to pull on the cable too too tight and pull it out it would disconnect the cable now the cable would still stay connected to the xbox uh, but however it stops you from yanking the xbox itself so it would help stop the controller uh, stop the controller from damaging the xbox now after that they did also make uh, the controller s uh, again that was much smaller uh, so you know much smaller design better for smaller hands whereas obviously the duke controllers or the fatty controllers whatever you want to call them obviously made for bigger hands now as well as that uh some of you might know of a company called mad cats uh as far as i know they're around in the 90s to the 2000s i don't know how long they stayed around in the 2000s but they did make controllers 
Now they made controllers for the Xbox, which we had one of them. It was uh, one of those green plastic ones where you could see all the internal wirings and the boards inside the controller. Now this is an interesting thing to look at, especially compared to even the Xbox S controller and the original Xbox controllers, because the Mad Cat's controller was very, very small. Now it was quite nice because it did have a rubberized grip on the handles, so it did make that a bit more comfortable to hold for longer periods of time. But it was very small compared to the other controllers. So if you're used to your bulky controllers, then obviously that's quite a change with regards to the controllers in size. Now, as well as that, uh, we'd start to see the development of dual shock technology. Now, this is slightly different. Uh, this is basically rumble packs. Now, if you go back to the N64, that had a rumble pack. Now, that rumble pack uh, required separate batteries, and that just had the one motor. The rumble pack would go into the bottom of the N64 controller. Obviously, it'd rumble when certain things happen, like uh, your character getting shot or hit for something, things like that. Now, uh, DualShock mainly has been developed in for the PlayStations. Uh, again, it started from PlayStation 2, I believe, at the top of my head, and has been used... Uh, has been upgraded and used in the controllers since then. Now, DualShock is quite different because it actually used two motors to the N64 Rumble Pack, which obviously some of you might realize that's quite obvious with regards to why it's called DualShock. So you had one each handle. So obviously you'd feel the vibrations on both the handles if something happened that caused the control to vibrate. Now, the other thing is, is the DualShock did not require any separate batteries. This is something I've never quite realized before until I was actually researching this. The DualShock used the two motors, like I said, both in both in each controller, or each, both in each handle of the controller, I mean, sorry. Uh, and uh, they actually drew the power for the motors from the PlayStation itself. So the power was actually going through the cable that was connected to the controller and in the PlayStation so that power was actually coming through the food plate as said itself instead of being powered by separate batteries like the n64 rumble pack now the next evolution in controllers uh, is basically to do with the remote wii remotes and most control technology now obviously some of you may be thinking oh, i'll probably talk about the iToy if some of you remember that uh, but that'll be for the next episode we'll be looking at different things like that now, obviously, the Wii remotes, uh, again, very simplistic design, but it had motion technology in, so it allowed you to uh, use movements to play games. Obviously, most of us will probably remember Wii Sports, playing tennis, bowling, things like that. Uh, you had Mario Kart Wii, and you can actually buy the steering wheels and put the controllers in, so it was using motion technology. Obviously, that was very popular for Nintendo when the Wii came out. It was their way to try and get everyone joining in on games, everyone playing. I'm pretty sure I remember the adverts like, you know, you know, Na Nanny and Granda can play, or Nan and Grand, whoever you want to call them. Um, you know, just getting everyone up and moving a bit more, trying to get people more healthy, things like that. And they did obviously do a lot of different attachments and things, a lot of different games. Some of them worked really well. Others didn't translate so well onto the Wii as on consoles like the Xbox and the PlayStation. Now, obviously, motion control technology has gone on quite a long way since then. Uh, we've also had the PlayStation Move, again, very similar to the Wii technology. Uh, 
uh, which I'm not sure if it's still going at the moment. I think they kind of might try. They kind of phased out a little bit. I'm not 100% sure about that. It's not something I really personally kept up with in regards to the PlayStation Move. Uh, but again, that was using the motion technology uh, for different games and to see uh, you know, how you can make things there. Now, obviously, the next big jump we know from there is going on to virtual reality. So we've got our virtual reality headsets. Uh, so things like the Oculus Rift and things like that. Obviously, there's a lot of virtual reality headsets out there. Now, those have been used for games and they are becoming more common. So one of the main virtual reality games I've seen a lot of, um, especially stream-wise and clips of them, uh, is Beat Saber. So it's a rhythm game uh, which uses virtual reality, a virtual reality headset as well as motion controls. And you have to basically move these essentially lightsaber looking like blades uh, the right way in time to the music that's playing in the background. Uh, so virtual reality headsets they are making their way through gaming um hopefully we'll see some more of them come up soon it would be interesting to see s certain games like that i have heard there's a few games that have been developed i think i did hear a while back there has either been a resident evil game developed for virtual reality or has been developed so i think it was developed i can't remember but there would be some games that would i believe would be interesting to see in virtual reality uh, could make some interesting experiences. Okay, so that's it for our look at the evolution of controllers. Now, I know there's probably quite a few that I have missed out and I probably could have been talking about, but I felt that if I went through all the controllers, I'd probably hit the limit of how long my recording can be or I'd have to make multiple episodes of the same thing. So I thought I wouldn't do that. I'd just give a few sort of main points of control evolutions that I think are quite interesting to myself or I think are quite interesting to hear about. Again, if you're interested in how controls are developed, you know, do go ahead and have a look online. Uh, it's certainly something that can be interesting to read, uh, or you'll find some, I'm sure you'll find some videos on YouTube regarding that. So on the next episode, what we're going to be doing, following a slightly similar process, we're not looking at controllers, we're going to look at peripherals in the next episode. So when I refer to peripherals, obviously, yes, if you go to a PC, peripherals would be a mouse, keyboard, things like that. And we're talking game peripherals. So that'll be things like uh, joysticks, uh, the Kinect, for example, on the Xbox, which will be an interesting one to talk about because we know, obviously, it was hyped up to be really, really good. But as we all know, it pretty much failed. Uh, you know, there's other things, especially like the notorious Nintendo Power Glove. Again, if you know it, you know what that's about. You know how bad it was. And obviously the ridiculous phrase that came with it from the film that it is shown in as well. I'll go over that in a little bit next episode. Uh, and we've also got Rob as well, a peripheral. Uh, I'll give you a bit more history about Rob as well. Because he does pop up quite a bit in Nintendo's history. Uh, not just as a peripheral. So some of you may know from Smash Bros, but there are a few other bits that he has popped up in as well. So as always, I do hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this. Uh, I will try and get on to the next episode as soon as I can. And as always, you are welcome to pop over to my Twitch channel and stop there to say hello. If you'd like to just stop over there, give me a comment about the podcast. You're more than welcome to. It's the same name on Twitch, so it's Bold Badger 42 We're always happy to have new people jump to the stream. 
even if you don't want to chat that's fine we don't you know we don't force anyone to chat if you just want to chill out for a bit or if you want to see if there's you can jump in games you're always more than welcome to always happy to talk happy to play games with followers and my friends things like that so i do hope you guys have enjoyed it now there was a blooper from this episode so that has been chucked right after our, our little closing sound effect so if you want to stay and listen to that then do go ahead uh, it does involve me accidentally hitting the sleep button while I was uh, recording part of the podcast. So quite impressed I managed to do that. I don't know how. It's on my keyboard. I lent over to turn something off when I shouldn't have. So hopefully that will give you guys a bit of a laugh. But anyway, I shall catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and hope you enjoyed it. Okay, so next lots of controllers I'll talk about uh, are the controllers that started to what well, started having uh, two control sticks on them. Now, with this, we're mainly talking about going to the PlayStation Two controllers and the Xbox controllers, and most, well, pretty much all your modern controllers from then on. Now, with the original Xbox controllers, these were very, very bulky. The original design was really quite bulky for these controllers now what they originally got called were the fatties that is a genuine name for them i did a bit of research on that myself i had to double check that thinking wait a minute was that really a name but apparently that was uh then they did later get changed to the duke so obviously trying to change the name from fatty uh now Another great thing that I've always found quite good about the original Xbox controllers is they had breakaway connections. Now, what this would do... Oh, it's still recording as well. Damn it. Oh, no. I just hit the sleep button. Where's this going on in the blooper right at the end? <laughs>